In recent years, housing prices have surged across the country. The pandemic created upward pressure on housing and recent increases in interest rates are pushing affordability even further away for some. So far though, the housing affordability crisis has been allowed to persist and the OECD now ranks Canada as having the most expensive housing market among all G7 countries. Our guests this episode explore how we got to this point and what, if anything, can be done to create a more affordable housing market in Canada. They share that not only is housing forecast to continue to rise, but that the affordability crisis is extending deep into rental markets. This is further exacerbating the crisis and creating greater pressure for near and long-term solutions. I'm Michael Bassett, and this is Economics Matters, a Conference Board of Canada podcast. My guests this episode are Tony Bonin, Director of Economic Research at the Conference Board of Canada, and John Pasalis, President of Realosophy Realty, a Toronto real estate brokerage. Tony and John, welcome to Economics Matters. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Canada's housing market has, let's be frank, become a complete mess over recent years. I want to ask you both why and how did things go so wrong? I think there's a lot of people who would agree with that description of the housing market, but for the roughly two-thirds of households who already own a home, it's been pretty good for them. Housing prices have skyrocketed. Average house price is four times higher now than it was 20 years ago. We have seen the fastest growth among advanced countries other than New Zealand, among OECD countries and our peers. It's been stunning, really. For many, that has meant a big gain in the asset that they hold, and typically a house is the largest asset that somebody holds. As we've seen over the past several years with the pandemic and interest rates coming to very low levels and people snapping up houses at rates we've never really seen before, they got a little crazy, no doubt. I push back a little bit on the idea of the mess only to say that there are a lot of people benefiting from it, which I think is why it has become more of a national policy emergency. I think that's starting to change now that we see some of the price impacts in the real estate market flooding over to the rental market. As for the reasons behind this, it's difficult to say. I mean, there are certainly a variety of different drivers out there. Low interest rates, probably the number one thing that we can think of. We've been in a low interest rate environment for 30, 40 years, a steady decline in interest rates. Even as housing prices have been going up, the debt service ratio that Canadians are paying, so the share of their annual income going towards housing and servicing their debt, has remained relatively stable over time because those interest rates, that cost of borrowing has been coming down. The other big piece, of course, is the idea of speculation. This has focused primarily on foreign buyers coming to Canada, but that's not the only source of speculation. There's certainly domestic speculation. The challenge there, frankly, is that we don't have very good, clean data on this. It's hard to use the available data to identify who is being speculative, quote unquote, versus who is just selling a property because it makes financial sense for them. But there's certainly some degree of speculation going on. We saw a lot of that in the years before the pandemic, 2017, when housing prices were skyrocketing by 20, 30% in Toronto and Vancouver. And some of the controls put on foreign buyers helped alleviate that. But after a bit of a pause, prices, of course, went back up during the pandemic. And then lastly, the main fundamental driver is, of course, the relative dearth of supply that we have in Canada relative to the demand. Lots of people want to buy a home, are trying to get into the housing market, or trying to scale up or move. 
we have a very low level of housing supply relative to our population when you look at other G7 countries, with the possible exception of the US and the UK, we're a bit more on par with them overall. But within Canada, Ontario actually has about the lowest stock of housing or the number of available private dwellings to population. It's about 400 private dwellings in Ontario for every 1,000 people, which is far below the G7 average of about 500, 525, if I'm not mistaken. All of these factors together, this fundamental supply issue in conjunction with interest rates coming down, plus that speculative element is all coming together to drive housing prices up. And that's been happening for some time. It's just gotten severely worse through the pandemic as interest rates crashed and people started thinking about housing as a longer term investment. And of course, all of the knock on effects from the pandemic. John, what do you see? The way Tony opened it up with the idea that this is not a crisis for everyone is 100% correct. If you own land, you're doing quite well. Economic policies should not be targeting to benefit the wealthy, which is what's happening in Canada. It leads to growing wealth inequality, which we're seeing, and then leads to broader economic challenges as rents are soaring and there are all sort of ripple effects. What went wrong? Because I do think kind of we're not in a good place. I'll try to summarize maybe 30 years in under three minutes. There's no one problem. I think that's the most important thing. I think Tony touched on that. Everyone's trying to find one issue, one scapegoat, one boogeyman. There isn't one. This has been a longstanding issue. And that's been going on for decades. Canada and Ontario especially, we haven't been building deeply affordable housing. That is a massive issue. We have not been building purpose-built rentals. And for years, we didn't feel that in the 90s because we overbuilt housing in the late 80s. We had a recession, so we didn't really feel those issues in the 90s. And then things started to accelerate in the 2000s. We weren't building rentals. This was replaced by investors buying condominiums, which is not a great way to build long-term affordable rentals, but that is the model that our government decided on. Things have been chugging along for a decade and a half. Up until 2015, average price growth in the GTA was about 6% for houses, 1.5% in rents. Things really tipped after 2015, and I think this is really where the crisis started. One of the big factors is that our population growth exploded. Canada was growing by around 350,000 people per year, give or take, for like decades before that. Most recently, I think our growth was like a million people. Permanent immigrants and, of course, non-permanent residents. And the challenge, of course, is we're not building any more housing than we were 10 years ago. So the fact that our population was booming, and certainly, as Tony said, unbelievably low interest rates contributed to this during COVID, all of this led to this massive surge in home prices and now in rents, in part because we just don't have enough housing for our rate of population growth. It's easy to pull the lever to ramp up our population. It's very hard to pull a lever to have private developers double or triple housing completions. And that's kind of where we're at now and why we're seeing these very high rents and very high house prices. You talk about the past, but in May 2023, the CMHC released a report that forecasts that the price declines that we saw over the last year in reaction to the interest rate increases will quickly go away. And they're forecasting that we're facing even more upward pressure on housing prices in the next five years. And so housing affordability is getting further and further away. 
Do you think that the CMHC assessment of a further decline in affordability is correct when we look forward? Yeah, 100%. I think they're 100% correct. We're actually already seeing prices turn the corner. Prices in the Toronto area are on the rise. In Vancouver, they're on the rise. And I think in a lot of markets in Canada, they've kind of turned the corner, started accelerating. And affordability, you got to keep in mind, it's not just a function of home prices, but it's a function of interest rates as well. Affordability today is probably worse than what it was at the peak of the market in February 2022 because prices have accelerated. So any loss we've started making up a little bit in terms of gains, but also interest rates, of course, are significantly higher. Things are getting worse and they're getting worse in the rental market as well. Prices fell, rents skyrocketed as a lot of people moved to the sidelines. So yeah, I do agree with their assessment that things are getting worse. I agree with John and CMHC, and John's absolutely right. In the latest data from the Canadian Real Estate Association across any major market, we already see as of March this year, house prices flattening or even starting to tick up, which is quite remarkable because on average, we're nearly 40% higher in terms of house prices than we were four years ago in 2019. That's a remarkable increase, even as interest rates are much higher now than they were in 2019. Interest rates came down during the pandemic, and that rapid increase led to a big drop from the peaks we saw through the pandemic, but we've not even returned to the high levels we were at before COVID hit. People are clearly starting to look ahead and think that the interest rate increases from the Bank of Canada and other central banks are going to stop probably later this year. And that's the consensus forecast right now in financial markets that interest rates will stop being increased by the end of the year and might even start coming down again. And people are getting ahead of that game while they can now. Whether you call that speculative or not, people are thinking about their financial well-being and making what historically in Canada has been a smart move, leverage up to buy a house and then wait for capital gains to come in and fill in the equity that you have. Some people are underwater if they bought in the past couple of years at the real height of the house prices in the pandemic. But for most people, they bought a little bit before, or in some cases, many years before, and they're now thinking ahead again. And so it's not a bad financial decision on that personal level. But to John's earlier point, this is really the wealthier segment of society that we're talking about, that frankly, from a policy perspective, we don't need to be nearly as worried about. They will be fine even if prices come down further. And so it's really a question of how do we support the more affordable areas of the market and especially the rental market. One of the more flippant responses to this housing crisis has been this call for people to stop thinking that they should all own a home and get into rentals. But as you've both talked about, this affordability crisis is now spilling into the rental unit discussions. What are the implications of the tremendous increases in rent we're starting to see across Canada? As far as I can see, this is a much greater policy concern for us across the country at all orders of government. Once you start seeing the big increases in rental prices, then even people who are getting pushed out of home ownership, which is a dream for many people in Canada, now you're talking about folks who generally are going to be earning less money, are going to be paying much more for what is a basic human need, shelter, and that basic human need they're paying more for is not going towards some investment, some equity that they can later extract somehow, regardless of what's happening in the market. This is, I think, where our efforts need to be focused on and where developing the supply for purpose-built rentals is absolutely critical. And I've been happy to see the discussions moving that way. 
But there's been recent reports that a lot of the developers who would be building these purpose-built rentals are not doing it right now or have scaled back their investments because of the high interest rate environment. So we're in this catch-22 where we want lower interest rates in order to start stimulating the building of the rental units. But at the same time, that's going to inevitably keep real estate prices up or even start to increase them again. I think this is where things started to turn when rents started skyrocketing 20%. I think it's having a far bigger impact because again, home prices surging 20% only negatively impacts the people who want to buy a home. Rents surging 20% per year. I mean, the landlords are enjoying that, but certainly it's not benefiting the people who have to rent. And I think this has a ton of negative side effects on the labor market where people can live. I mean, and especially in lower income jobs, where are those people going to live? The average rent for a one bedroom in Toronto now is pushing close to 2,500. You need to be making $90,000 a year if your rent's going to be a third of your income to afford that. Even a one bedroom condo, you can't afford on your own for most people. They'd have to obviously rent that with someone else. So I think these are massive challenges. And They extend way beyond housing. What are the real world impacts you're seeing on businesses and workers from the numerous issues that we're seeing in the housing market? Do you pay $90,000 for the person who pours the coffee? The challenge is exactly what you're saying. Employers are having a very hard time finding labor who want to work. And it's, of course, not in the financial district, you know, the people working for Google and Amazon. That is not the problem, but you see it all sorts of areas. Of course, in the lower income jobs downtown, the people who need to get to those jobs that are in the core, where are they living? They're commuting, what, an hour and a half to get to that job to make just above minimum wage. I've been seeing it in all sorts of areas, in arts organizations. I think I read recently in Niagara, like Shaw Festival, one of the arts, they're actually starting to try to build housing for their own people because they just cannot compete with the private market and there's nowhere for people to live. So they're building seasonal housing. And I read this same issue in areas like Prince Edward County where it's seasonal housing, where businesses now that are not in the housing business have to worry about how they're going to house the people that are working for them because there's just nowhere for people to live. All sorts of challenges that government policymakers are quite frankly downloading to businesses. And I think that's certainly a problem. Similar to John's point, but just to emphasize how bifurcated or split the labor market is, especially as we've emerged from COVID and the something like 25% to maybe about a third of Canadians are able to work and are working from home with some regularity. Those jobs are by and large higher paid, typically requiring higher levels of education. These are the people who have the benefit of being flexible in terms of where they move, where they live, finding a more affordable area, finding more space for their family. But that leaves two-thirds or more of the working population being required to go into the office. And that's going to be primarily major urban centers that are extremely expensive to live in. The challenge for employers is how can they realistically be affording the living wages that people need to be coming to these locations. They can offer flexibility, I think, more control over hours. There are 
things employers can do, but given how fast now rents especially are rising, I'm not sure that there's any clear solution here. It is going to be a challenge, and John's right when he says this is falling now on the shoulders of employers to solve. The downside is, well, there are many downsides. The issue is really, we're talking about a long-term challenge in terms of affordability. This is not something that can turn around overnight, but these are cost effects, affordability challenges people are facing today. Policy is starting to take note of this, but a lot has to be done very quickly. So this is economics matters. We can tolerate a question around bringing in Adam Smith and the question of supply and demand. If the housing prices are so high and there's so much money to be made, for those in it, why is this situation so difficult and why is it falling apart like this? What are the options that you see when we think about how we improve the housing affordability situation in the near term? Yeah, I think there are both supply side and demand side solutions. On the demand side, what we've seen already working in some jurisdictions and municipalities are controls over speculative buying. That initially was coming in the form of controls on foreign buyers, which had some impact on prices in terms of leveling them out. But it's not going to be the panacea that solves all of the issues by any means. Higher interest rates is certainly something that is helping to attenuate housing price increases, but even interest rates flattening out is seeing a return to increases from the already high level. The other big challenge with interest rate policy, of course, it's controlled by the Bank of Canada that has a number of different factors, not only housing that it needs to keep in check when they're setting those interest rates. Ultimately, I think it really has to be supply-side solutions, building more and better targeted units. And by better targeted units, I really mean rental units or maybe affordable condos that are large enough to house families. Building condos that can be rented out and they're teeny tiny two bedrooms That's not a sustainable place for a family that's moved here that wants to grow and thrive in the community that they're in. Incentivizing rental construction, yes, important, but we have to be very mindful about what type of rental units are actually going to be built and who is going to be living there and housed there. The short term is quite challenging because I'm an optimist generally, but there's no short term fix here. You brought up Adam Smith, which is great. And the question of like, well, why isn't there more supply? Why isn't the invisible hand working to build us more housing? If you look at the press, everyone just focuses on zoning. And if you just reform zoning, we're going to triple the number of homes we build. I mean, obviously, you can't do that overnight. I mean, no country triples housing completions in the matter of a couple of years. We're already running at max capacity in Canada, where the Bank of Canada is worried about inflationary pressures on wages, and we think we can double or triple housing completions without impacting wages and construction costs, and of course not. So there are a ton of barriers to that. And right now, economically, there's a lot of risk and uncertainty, and private builders are, of course, businesses, and they're not in the business of taking unnecessary risk. Supply is not going to change in the near term, and quite frankly, is declining if we look at the number of new launches and new starts. So things are going to get worse on the supply side. On the demand side, there isn't much you can do. Yes, interest rates are helping in the short term, but you can't do very much on the demand side. Even if our government scaled back our immigration targets, which is in the news, like, sure. But that, that is, again, going to impact us on the margins. If they went from 500 to 400 or 350, 
The issue is that the bigger portion of our population growth is actually non-permanent residents. Many of those are students. And you can't just cut that over. It has a massive effect on universities and tuitions. And so there are all sorts of side effects. So you cannot have these massive change for the demand in housing overnight. Any changes on the supply and demand side would have to be gradual, which means things are probably going to get worse before or if they get better. Unlike John, I am not an optimist by nature, but certainly agree that we don't have necessarily a rosy outlook for the short term. For the longer term, I am a little bit cautiously optimistic, I would say, because there has been a real groundswell around the need for more supply to be built and particularly purpose-built rental units. And I think that's definitely the right direction for the long term, but it will take a long time to get there. And let's remember that when we're talking about housing, it's not just the units people live in. It is the infrastructure. It is the logistics, the transportation system. There are a lot of pieces that feed into that. And of course, you can't just build them out in the middle of nowhere, away from where people are going to be working. As we were talking about before, a lot of the people in that rental segment are also going to be the ones who need to go on site to work. And so we need to be focused on that location piece, building affordable units for folks in what is some of the most expensive land in the country already. It's a challenge, but I think that's where we need to focus our efforts on that rental side. The housing market, in some sense, is equalizing itself when you think about the number of people buying houses, the number of people selling houses, and the market is sorting that out. It's rather imperfect, to be sure, and there's a lot of drivers, interest rates, people who are able to speculate. And also, I'd mention intergenerational wealth transfer. That's another big source of demand. There's been some analysis done on this by CIBC showing huge transfers from basically the baby boomer generation to millennials. And we all know the baby boomers are a big generation relative to the number of children that they have had. That's concentrated the wealth as that's being transferred down. And that's another big source of demand here. But that's not unique to Canada by any means either. So there are some unique features here that we still don't have a really clear grasp on what the unique issue is here. But the longer term perspective is nevertheless somewhat a cause for optimism at this point, because there is a clear alignment that this is the direction we need to go in terms of more affordable supply. Whether we get there or not is uh, something to be determined. Let's talk about that a little bit, because if we are pessimistic about the near term future, you both seem to be somewhat optimistic that there is an opportunity in the long term to fix it, or certainly it feels imperative that we do. What do you think needs to happen to right this ship and help ensure that we don't either recreate this affordability trap for the country or get better alignment between our housing supply and our housing demand? The long term would have to be quite long because governments move at a snail's pace, unfortunately. If we think about the policies, for starters, governments need to get back in the business of building deeply affordable housing. This idea that the private sector is going to be able to build affordable housing for someone on minimum wage is crazy. It's never going to happen. This needs to be driven by every level of government, quite frankly, if we're going to see some affordable housing. This is like deeply affordable rental housing, completely separate from market rental housing. And we need both. A functioning housing market requires both. I don't know what the affordable model looks like. Maybe it's a nonprofit model, but governments need to prioritize that. 
In terms of market rentals, 100% I agree with Tony, governments needs to prioritize and incentivize purpose-built rental construction. I mean, we're building condominiums and selling them to investors, which quite frankly is just driving up house prices and rents because they're contributing to this crisis. And we're at a point where pre-construction condos are 30, 40% more than resale condos, partly because of that. And we're doing that because they're just more lucrative for builders. Builders are just going to go where the money is. You need government intervention. And I know some people don't like that. They like governments getting out of things. But if you want to change the structure of our market, you need some intervention. In this case, intervention is some sort of policies that incentivize builders to build more purpose-built rentals. And they have been doing that. I mean, CMHC has been doing that recently. And we did see an uptick in purpose-built rental construction, which is very positive, but we need more of that. We need policymakers to ensure that if universities wants to ramp up their foreign student population, they need to build housing because that's a challenge right now. And people don't realize it. They just think it's the number of immigrants. It's not. It's like foreign students, which is very good because it's a pathway for them to become Canadians for many of them. But this is having very negative side effects on both the rental market and the housing market. In a lot of small communities, people are buying up homes and converting them to rooming houses. These kids that are coming here are stuck paying 600 bucks to sleep on the floor in a basement. So they need to ensure that universities are also contributing to this solution. If they want the benefit of bringing in students who are paying higher tuitions, well, they need to start building housing for them. These are some of the key issues. And of course, eventually over time, lining up our population growth with our ability to build housing, which means finding ways to increase our housing supply. However that is, I mean, obviously that has its own challenges. But as we're increasing supply, ensure that our population's growing at a rate that we can house people. Otherwise, you're just going to continue to have this challenge where you're driving up house prices and rents when those two things are out of sync. You have just too many people fighting for too few homes. And this is creating the whole fear of missing out and anxiety because people hear it in the, every day. Effectively, our government's saying, we're not building enough homes for everybody. So like, figure it out yourselves. You know what I mean? And this is what's creating the rapid price acceleration. So you need to get that out of people's minds, this idea that we have this massive supply shortage by syncing those two things up. Over the long term, this focus on, as John put it, deeply affordable rental units is the key thing we need to focus on. And I agree, we can't simply leave that up to the private market. Public-private partnerships are probably the best broad framework of how to address that. You don't necessarily want the government going in and digging the holes, so to speak, but more direct involvement of governments of various levels, of course, to sort of guide the type of construction, affordable units for families, for people who can put down roots, and not simply something that's most profitable in terms of the construction and then sale margin. This is going to be absolutely critical. The idea of universities being more involved in the housing side of their students, especially foreign students, because they are in general going to have fewer social supports and a thinner network that they can draw on, places that they can live, uh, basements that they can move into, and so on. I think that makes a lot of sense. I think it would be difficult to implement it, but I like the idea of trying to put that into the social mandate of universities to be conscious and explicit about how they're going to be housing their students, especially in smaller university towns. 
that's where you see a lot of the impacts and new building that's really designed for students and few other people. Part of why I am overall optimistic, there's been a big shift towards the supply side and that being the main challenge. That is good and we are less focused on first-time home buyers, which is not incredibly fair, if I can be perfectly honest, for the generation who might struggle to be buying a home. But as long as people can find a place that they can affordably live in, that's what we need to be focusing on, that big picture piece that, as John has said before, housing is a human right. And so making that a reality for people across Canada is going to be a critical piece. Affordable rental is the way to get there, or at a minimum, a place to start. John and Tony, this has been a sobering conversation about one of the biggest challenges that faces most individuals, although it sounds like from this that there are some people definitely that are benefiting, provided they don't have to move anywhere ever. I want to thank you both for taking the time to tackle this really difficult topic and give us a good perspective on how we got here and how we could maybe get out of it in the future. So thank you so much. Thank you, Michael. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Economics Matters is a Conference Board of Canada podcast. You can check out more economic outlooks and analysis at conferenceboard.ca. If you like what you hear, leave us a comment or rating on Apple Podcasts. Let us know how we're doing.